brand is more important than it's ever been. Companies that grew up with passerby readers are dead. And if you don't have a consumer who's actively looking for your content, it is very difficult to build ancillary business models. If you look at what Snapchat's doing with advertising and storytelling, it's clear that digital can be more than the thing that we think it is. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Sehil Patel, senior reporter at Digiday, filling in for Brian Morrissey. Today, we're joined by an area man trying to build a digital <laughs> media business in these dark, dark times. Uh, Mike McAvoy, president and CEO of, the, of Onion Inc. and EVP of sales at Fusion Media Group. Mike, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, Mike, I, I want to talk about Fusion Media Group. Obviously, it's a big venture for the company uh, mm-hmm. going forward. Um, but before we get to that, I have to ask, considering it's the biggest story of our time, Donald Trump... Has he has he been good or bad for the onions business? I think maybe we should start with the country before the uh, for our business. But I think I mean I think he's uh, obviously a challenging character in the sense that anything you can write about Trump will do really well. But as you know, having a group of extremely talented satirists, they balance the need to just say the same things over again or trying to think of a unique angle to cover something. And it's there's a fatigue factor that comes into covering Trump. I mean, true, really? true of anybody. Yeah, just because um, he does so many crazy things that it's uh, he is hyperbolic, and one of the tools of satires is is hyperbole, and so you can't really you can't exaggerate on what Donald does. So you have to play with him in a different way than you know than you would other uh, presidents. So then, how would you say the Onion sort of playing with him uh, in the, in that sort of environment? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes they, you know, make them really mundane and kind of simple. And then other times it's, you know, pretty pointed uh, in terms of what he's doing and commenting on that. And then it's also had a ton of fun with his cabinet, which I guess everyone in the world has, uh, especially over the last month. Could you give me an example of sort of something you guys have done recently? I mean, we, just the whole Scaramucci thing was, you know, uh, like five things to quickly know about him. Uh like we've done a lot of quick real time video on that, and then within this big Trump document leak, we had leaked emails from uh, from the Trump administration, and would play with someone like Kellyanne Conway, where her only thing she cared about was getting on her Fox News appearance. Of course, and so it's just kind of like figuring out something within each character of how to satirize them, and that's something the Onion's done well for an extremely long period of time. And I think there's probably no better example of that than Diamond Joe, uh, you know, Joe Biden, who loved the coverage the Onion gave of him. Um, So we kind of have taken that playbook, even though it existed before, and related into this presidency. So how has that impacted on sort of the, I guess, the audience and business side, right? We've done stories around the Trump bump, so to speak, at Mm -hmm. least during the the latter stages of the election. Maybe it's coming down a little bit right now. For the Onion, is is has the audience been up because of Trump? I mean, what's that been like? Yeah, I mean, our, our audience continues to to grow, and it grows with Trump coverage. But I think there's also people who want to escape from the Trump reality, and so they love the kind of you know you reference the Area Man stories, like they people love the you know kind of the important the reporting on the mundane in a really important way, and I think that's kind of where the Onion is an escape for people. So it's really been a mix of coverage for us of what's been successful. And we've, you know, the inauguration itself was the, you know, the biggest traffic day we've ever had times two, just because everyone wanted to come to the onion and say, what's the onions take on, you know, this uh, not so predictable, uh, right. you know, a set of events. So, I mean, if you have to ballpark it, uh, looking at the onion, like, 
editorially across the board, is there like a percentage that like, okay, this is definitely going to go towards Trump and Trump related stuff, but then we have all these other things that we're doing? Yeah, I mean, the the roots of the onion are always kind of going back into that newspaper edition feel of let's have some, you know, some main national stories, some local stories, some sports, some entertainment. And so within, you know, kind of issue selection, whether it's you know, the evergreen issue that's every week or, you know, fast track breaking news. There's kind of a, there's a, there is a thing of doing too much Trump. And so I think everyone's mindful of that. And it's also a group of writers who do not want to say something that someone else has said. And so there's such a quest for a unique view and uh, perspective. And that's what the, I don't know how much you know about the headline process, but the headline process is like going through a thousand headlines, you mm-hmm. know, plus a week to pick 40 or 50 that you're excited to write about. Right. So it's heavy filtration, and that goes on every day as well. And how is that uh, translated to, to the business, right? right? Uh, Onion Labs is obviously a big part, uh, big part of the, the company's business. Um, we've also done stories around some advertisers who might be hesitant to be next to political content or news content today because of sort of the nature of what the actual uh, news and the headlines are. So how has that in any way, if it has impacted Onion Labs, yeah, I think I think for advertisers now, brand safety is more at the forefront than ever been than ever before. So I think for us, it's about making sure advertisers' content aligns with things that they wanted to. And so within the Onion's coverage of anything, we have such a big range of topics outside of you know political coverage. But I also think you're seeing some advertisers who actually embrace comedy and they realize that. The audiences they're trying to reach who are 18 to 34 actually don't mind a little edge in the, the content they read and they actually respect brands more who show a little bit of you know affinity to brands that they love. Has there been any any growth in terms of the number of advertisers you've been working with uh, over the past year or a couple of years? Yeah, we, we continue to grow, I think, the direct side of the business with Onion Labs, you know, significantly. Um, you know, so that continues to increase year over year. And then now this year we're part of Fusion Media Group. And so as of September, I think, of last year, we kind of combined forces with the former Gawker assets of Gizmodo Media Group and have become one sales operation. And so that's been something I think that has helped us reach, you know, kind of address some of the reach issues where The Onion is a 30 million unique site, which is, you know, good size, but doesn't have the same reach as some of the competitors. Now we're bigger than our competitors. Right. So that's uh, that's actually a perfect segue into into Fusion Media that's, Group. You that's mentioned what I, that's what I do. Yeah, it's great. That's great. Um, you mentioned you know the the former Gawker properties mm-hmm. with the exclusion of Gawker, uh, the root, the onion. What's the full size of FMG? What what, what else exists within that portfolio? It's, uh, it's it's really those six Gawker sites: the root, Fusion, which is now uh, called Splinter. How do you feel about that title, by the way? I mean, I have to we, ask. He, it, every brand gets, uh, you know, creates its own meaning over time. Mm-hmm. So it's been, I know it's been criticized by some, and I think the people who selected it were obviously self-aware of the, the criticism. So I think the intent is, uh, is good, you know, and the journalism's great. So, um, you know, and then, I, then we also have uh, a couple smaller sites that are, that are growing called Track Record and Project Earth. And then the Fusion TV side is also kind of commingled into Fusion Media Group but more as a TV asset than, than anything else. So what's what's the size of the entire operation yeah. today in terms of audience? Yeah, it's 100 million uniques plus a month. Uh, and it reaches, you know, over half the audience is 18 to 34. So if you stack it up in Comscore against 
Vice, Fox, Complex, BuzzFeed, it's number one in kind of the most important demo, or at least we see, of 18 to 34-year-olds. So it's a huge network. And I think that's been a nice part, you know, from where I come from to be able to, you know, in particular team up with the, the Gizmodo media sites because they're, they're just so big, you know? So what was was that sort of the the reason for the consolidation, right? Uh, with the formation of Fusion Media Group, and then as you mentioned, the re- reorganization into having one sales team for all, was that sort of the the primary goal? Like, let's be able to demonstrate scale. Yeah, I think I think it was scale in in one sense and efficiency, and I think the investment thesis overall behind Fusion Media Group was there's a changing demographic in America, and that there are brands that you know, are inherently multicultural or inherently young. And anyone who's under the 18, you know, where half the people are diverse, you know, so it's no longer white is the majority under, under the age of 18. And so they were looking for a bunch of assets that had strong young audiences that you could put together in a way where they weren't competing with each other and actually, you know, appeal to advertisers in a way where you'd have a solution in every kind of key category. And so, so yeah. Yeah, so I was going to say, so what's unique about it is if you look at the overlap, either on the advertising side over the years between GMG and The Onion or within the categories of coverage, the brands are very, very different. Yet now we're able to go to a meeting with an agency and if someone wants to, you know, uh, surround them, be around technology, we have an answer, gaming, answer, pop culture, comedy, you know, auto, uh, on and on and on. And so every really content solution we have a home for. Right, and you're not eating into any individual portfolio properties business. Yeah, we're not. But we also have enough like-minded people in the portfolio because it's young, smart, affluent, where there's a great recirculation rate within the portfolio using the Kinja platform, which is something we're all migrating to in the next... few weeks actually the av club uh migrates next wednesday so in working with advertisers what are they primarily coming to you guys uh, these days for uh is it looking for campaigns or, or projects with individual properties are they looking for things that kind of hit multiple properties where, where is the action coming from so to speak yeah i mean i think the the name fusion media group isn't one that's out there a million places yet so i don't think there's many people coming to us saying we are fusion media group advertisers but what you know, people are learning over time is this is a collection of brands that are category leaders. And so sometimes, you know, advertisers will want one specific brand to play the lead. Other times they'll want, you know, a few brands to play the lead, but they've been particularly interested in the ability for us to, you know, regardless of which brands at the center, create the distribution strategy that lets custom content, which is really at the core of what we sell, be distributed throughout the portfolio, whether that's on the O&O or through distributed content. So uh, how has that impacted revenue for you guys uh, over the past year? Because the, the formation of the group was last fall, correct? Yeah, last fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the first three months it had, there was, I mean, it was an idea to integrate and we started laying the plans of, you know, to integrate. And I was fortunate enough to have a really talented team at The Onion and then inherit some, you know, really talented people at GMG uh, to be on it. And so we on the sales side, we, you know, kind of made the full blown switch as of January of this year to sell as one. And so far, so good. I mean, it's been I think it's helped us make sure that when reps go to a meeting, they can get an opportunity versus in any of our uh you know, kind of prior lives before the integration, there'd be meetings where someone might want to stay away 
or maybe interested in a certain category, we wouldn't have a solution. Now, if we don't win a buy, it's because the stars didn't align with either the budget or the right idea in front of the right audience, you know, meaning the media buyer. And that's really what it's down to. So it's a risk of execution instead of a, you know, kind of a, a risk associated with your content strategy. So since January, how much would you say revenue has grown, uh, I guess, halfway through the year now, right? Yeah, I mean, I, think we're, I, I know that there's certain things I can and can't say due to the, the fun uh, Univision uh, S1 process. So I won't... Uh, I can't comment on, I believe I can't comment on numbers, but uh, it's, you know, it's been very strong and we've been able to like grow at a rate that we wouldn't have been able to do if we were siloed in our, as our own. Well, with Fusion Media Group, that also includes the, the television source side, right? So are you seeing growth across both or is there more growth on digital versus television? We'd love to get a sense of how they kind of exist. Yeah, I think the big thing on the television side is figuring out, you know, primarily how do you get more carriage fees and an expanded distribution? And so those are conversations that are constantly in the in the works and the programming strategy for Fusion TV um, is being, you know, kind of has been revamped over the last probably six or nine months, includes now some of the like a digital show for or not digital show a TV show from the AV Club. That started in March. They're doing another show with Jalopnik starting in fall. Is it like a big area of focus? Like, let's figure out ways we can bring stuff from the digital side onto the television network? Yeah, and, and more so, how do you take a brand and bring it to TV than take a digital asset and bring it to TV? So they're very different look and feel than what you would see from video content from any of the brands. But yeah, the, the part of the thesis was you have storytellers who are really talented and if they're teamed up with the right video creatives and programmers, they can actually create really compelling TV. I want, definitely want to cover more on the, on the video side uh, a little bit later on, but going back to sort of the, the, one, of the, one of the driving factors behind the creation of, of FMG, sort of that scale question, um, I have to ask, does, does scale matter anymore? Because we had uh, Raju Narasati, yeah. On a few a few months ago, right, and he was talking about you can always show great numbers, right? Hundred million, three hundred million, five hundred million. But at the end of the day, you have Facebook and Google that can say we've got billions. So for publishers, like, does that really matter anymore? Yeah, I think it's table stakes to to qualify for a certain type of advertiser. I mean, truth is, you'll never win the super scale game, you know. And so you're really down to how are you competing for the last fifteen cents after Google and Facebook for incremental value. So if you don't have scale, and I think you're a true mid-tier publisher, I think it's, it's, it's a very tough time. If you're a small publisher, you got to think of different business models to how you can finance your content. And so if you're big enough, then I think you can actually start selling on the other value and capabilities that you have. But if you don't have the reach to begin with, you know, to a lot of advertisers, you're, it's just, you won't be as efficient you know, uh, as spending money on Google or Facebook. And so what's the other value you would say within the FMG portfolio? I think you talked a little bit earlier about just the audience itself, right? So what, what are you going to advertisers with saying like, yeah, we have the reach, but look at all these other things that we can promise. Yeah, I think, I mean, the composition of our reach in terms of young, smart, affluent is insane. And then you couple that with people who are actually passionate about brands like they come to our sites cause they love them. You know, that's the one through line I think in the, you know, within the brands, that they're all brands people people really care about. And if you can couple that with teaming up with creatives who know an audience and know how to create content for an audience on behalf of an advertiser, you can create ad content that's much more compelling than you would get from serving the assets of a creative you know, uh, agency. Mm-hmm. 
And so the brand of content play for us is super important. That's not to say that creative agency content doesn't work through media assets, but when you can combine the media assets in from a creative agency plus branded content in our own distribution channels, you have a pretty compelling formula for success. Well, you guys, I mean, for years, I mean, branded content was a huge part of onion, the Onions business. I think two years ago, there was that stat, like 80% yeah. of revenues were uh, were on the on the Onion Lab side. Uh, is there like a goal of, uh, of how much of the revenue you want from the FMG portfolio to come through branded content? Is there is there a benchmark that you guys are hoping for? Yeah, I mean, we, we measure it, um, and it's one of those numbers that you can always, it's a little art and science of just like, did was the full buy branded content, or was there some bundled media assets in there, but the but it's such an important metric, because it's growing faster than any other side of the business. So for us, we want that branded content number to be as big as it can be out of the total, but still be really strong, you know, with the media-only business. Programmatically, we're excellent now that we're part of one company. And then we also have this commerce business that you know GMG had run for years that is now being plugged into the rest of the portfolio. It's like thirty percent for them, right? I think that's the yeah, stat that was yeah, it's, out there. It's a significant number, and it's you know it's because they built great trust with their audience, and they're able to recommend things to their audience that you know um, that drive you know a ton of commercial transactions. What you're describing is having a diversified revenue model. Uh, how important is that for a media company of your size these days to not be able to be reliant just on advertising, uh, just on commerce, you know, anything that could make you money? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, successful media companies forever have had, you know, two, uh, like, dual revenue streams, or at least two strong revenue streams. So whether it's back in the early newspaper days, or think of the cable days of when you're getting advertising and subscriber fees in some way, shape, or form, those are kind of you know some pretty strong tenets of success in media. I think if you don't have that, then you have to have super scale in the way that Facebook or Google does in order to to really build a good business. So is that is that like a way a, a bull a bulwark against the Google and Facebooks, right? Because I mean, you understand that you're competing for these ad dollars that they will control a lot of. So why not have these other avenues that they're not really playing in to to survive even yeah and I, I think and i also think like they're also natural things to have if you have brands right so i think the whole membership services side of subscription meets membership is something that's super interesting that we're playing around with right now because you have people who love brands want to become closer to them but you know people who never really want to pay for they would never want to pay for a paywall for content they've consumed for free but they do want to get new experiences with a you know with a brand that they love. So, so what are some of the things you're exploring in that area? So we're just we're working through that, you know, we started on the comedy side probably a year ago of just thinking through um, you know, what are some unique offerings that you could, you know, people write in all the time wanting to be part of something that the onion does and trying to kind of protect the the golden goose of the comedy process, but also, you know, kind of deliver on some level of you know, people's like, who's called like onion writers, uh, onion writer fantasy camp where, you know, every day there's 150 people who submit headlines saying, I think I'm really funny. Yeah. Um, publish this, but there's some element of engaging those people in a way where it's, whether it's classes or, you know, some unique event experience. I think, I think there's a lot there. If you have a brand people are passionate about. And I think that's the side for Google and Facebook that there's no reason for them to play in that space you know there aren't many people wearing google t-shirts these days you know or you know uh it's it's a brands that are becoming so big that there's just other ways for them to you know to make money and so i think for 
publishers, you have to be thinking about what's another way to get content paid for besides advertising. And so while I think advertising is super important, I think there's a lot of money to be made there if you are quicker than the marketplace, uh, which we have been. I also think it's a tough business to, to count on as it's never reoccurring revenue that you're looking out two or three years, which is the beauty of the subscription business overall. I mean, one of the other benefits, right, uh, uh, of FMG, let's be, if, if we're being honest, is you're under Univision. You're under, under this massive media company uh, that has co- consolidated all of these assets. Um, is that almost table stakes these days where like you can't really do or even experiment with all these things unless you have the, the resources and, and the backing that a big or consolidated company would have? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think you need a big brother or a corporate overlord, you know, whatever word uh, your employment contract lets you say. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think they're they're a huge asset, and they've they also have a, you know, uh, they built amazing trust within their, um, you know, in the community that they serve, and they have resources, and they are willing to make bets. And if you don't have the capital to make bets these days, uh, good ideas just die. And I don't know any media company that. Uh, isn't aggressively investing in video and if you're not backed by a big parent company i don't know i don't know how you can do that because video is never you know cheap uh or it's so cheap that it's not or or, or it hasn't been cheap for a long time until some one big gorilla came along and decided to make it a little bit cheaper then it made it a little cheaper right so but i think there's like a balance in terms of business model for video which i think is also an interesting conversation of so let's get into that, yeah. right? Because t- we are in a time of the great pivot to video. It's funny to me because we're hearing about video, ostensibly video companies pivoting more toward video, right? Fox right. Sports, MTV. Yeah. I'm like, well, what have you been doing all this time? Um, that's a joke. Yeah. Uh, but so it's, it's one, one. <laughs> thanks. Uh, what are your thoughts when you see all these companies saying that, you know, we're, we're now going to invest more, uh, more towards video content creation, video production, sometimes at the expense of a, a written editorial product? Yeah, but I think it's it's obviously chasing dollars to pay for things in one sense, and I think it's also brand perception in another, which is you know more of kind of enterprise value or the ability to attract uh, ad dollars. And I think there's certain experiences that are way better in video than they are in text, and there's other things that are just better to read than they are to have a video. I think what's interesting about video is just all the different types that exist to kind of satisfy different needs. So ton of newsfeed video that's very uh, inexpensive to produce and it kind of gives people the arms race of video numbers where they can say I got a few hundred million or a billion views a month and some of that stuff's not really that compelling and then in the other extreme you know you have people who are getting into the mid-form and long-form content relationships where they're trying to create content either for the digital platforms or television shows or films and I think you know the two sides of it are so different but in the end i think it's all about um either you know not chasing dollars but making sense of dollars for well, sure you can't I and mean, you can't just do one or the other right or you can't just do the the newsfeed video because i can't imagine that's going to help help you build a business that's lasting in that regard yeah i, I think that is a standalone thing i think is tough and so i think people who started off doing that like a now this i think have pivoted well beyond that yeah, they're getting into long form right it, it, exactly and so i think everyone you know in some way shape or form is in long form but uh but i think you, you, there's no money in newsfeed video and then um you know but it is an avenue for people if you have a big reach to sell branded content and so branded content is increasingly important 
even I think in some of the opportunities within long form as well. I think there's some clever integrations people can do, but I think newsfeed on its own is not a video strategy. And I think in general video, just the same way this is true of text content where not every article takes the same amount of time to, to write. And so some things are big, you know, investigative journalism pieces that take a lot of time and effort and do really good service for our society and readership but may or may not make money, you know, based on that investment. Other things are quick hitting, but deliver on the newsiness. And I think in the end, there's always different content types that subsidize another. And sometimes they both subsidize each other and one and one is more than two. So how, how is this in effect with, the, with an M- FMG? Uh, uh, going back to sort of the, the interview a few months ago that Roger did, that he mentioned that you guys are building out your... Uh, your your video business. Um, let's ignore the television network for a second because sure. that's all video. But with regard to digital video and and content, whether it's owned or distributed platforms, how are you guys approaching that? Yes, I think the the two teams are a little different. Um, so while we have kind of consolidated operations through most of the company, the edit teams and really the video teams remain central to the brands they serve. So the Onion has its own video team and. The GMG team has its own video team just because video and edit need to be so connected. And Raji manages the GMG side uh, of edit and I manage the uh, the Onion Inc. side of edit. And so for each, you know, I think the GMG side was very light on resources in video. And so they've hired a bunch of people and um, and I think are making, you know, I think pretty good inroads into what their video strategy is and how much they should do and what kinds of videos. And that will only be one of those things where they keep improving the more they create. So I think that's exciting. And on the onion side, we've been doing video for a long time. We do different tiers of video, have uh, kind of a three picture film deal with Lionsgate on one side, have digital shows that were in the works, some signed that not unannounced, others you know, in negotiation. Um, and so I think we're probably a little bit further along there, but in six months or a year, all of it will be, you know, kind of having the arms race of video from news feed to having branded content that's sold to having, you know, these mid form shows that are sold to distribution partners and then the long form stuff that maybe it lives on fusion TV or maybe it lives somewhere else. How do you view it in terms of very basically the difference between distributing video on your own and operated platforms versus Facebook, YouTube, sort of distributed media. What's what's the balance there for, for you guys across the portfolio? I mean, it's a, it's a tricky question. I think the problem with Facebook, you know, and the mid-roll programs a little bit uh, is, is the exception to this. There's not really a monetization strategy on uh, a direct basis, only if you're selling, it, you know, something. So I think that's one that always feels good from a marketing value and getting people to see stuff and get exposed to content. So it has it has value, but not immediate revenue value. YouTube, I think, is always a way to kind of build a loyal audience and drive revenue just because of the pre-roll program there. And then O&O, I think, is a great way to get people in the door, convert article you know, readers into video viewers, but you're, uh, that's more of a push you know, than a, than a poll, you know, in terms of pushing them into the video content as most people are the, any O and O video experience will never be as good as YouTube or Facebook. Well, is it, is one more important than the other, would you say, or is it just, we're at a point in a, in, in the media world where you kind of have to do everything. I think you kind of have to do everything. And I think the key in the business model is figuring out 
how a view is a view is a view. And so that's why branded content is so important is because if you can create the viewership and engagement on any platform and you're getting paid for each, then you're in good shape. I think the non-subsidized video from an advertiser, then they're, you know, the business model is different. So a million plays on Facebook is maybe worth nothing or maybe some, you know, some new page likes that will drive, you know, future value. And then on YouTube, it's worth a certain amount of money and oh no, it's worth even more money. So I think that's the problem, but I don't think you can, I don't think you can get people to pick one platform over the other. And in general, I just think the more you syndicate your content everywhere, if you have great content, the more people remember it, seek it out, and maybe you can convert them into higher yield users on your own O, or maybe they, you know, their consumption habits are all in social channels, and that's where you have to make money from them. Well, one of the, um, I guess, the, the big video trends outside of the, the great pivot to video has been this, it's weird to say, like, this new trend towards making shows because people have been making shows for a long time, right? Uh, even on, on in digital media. But Facebook is looking for shows, is paying for shows. Snapchat is doing the same thing. Uh, as as a media company, what what are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think forever we've all thought that at some point um, any of the super reach players were going to get into the content space. And it was something that I think every one of them fought off, you know, publicly committing to forever. But I think it was just a natural evolution of that scale. So I think... It's to me. I think it's exciting if you're if you're ambitious as a video creator. I think it'll you know most of these things result in some initial deals that are um, you know either big library deals of some sort that people look back at and say what do we think we were doing. But I do think with Facebook and um, Snap and uh, and now Apple that they'll make smart decisions overall and learn from things in the past that were you know that I think mistakes that have been made. Do you see them as as long term plays though? I mean, Facebook itself has said that you know our in a perfect world we subsidize content right now for Facebook Watch, which shows eventually we're able to build this this user behavior that people regularly come to the platform to watch shows, and therefore we can then monetize those purely through mid roll ads. Is that a solid long-term play for any media company that might want to play in that game? Yeah, I mean, I think from a creator, it comes down to can you create something at the right cost where you can get an ad in there and make your money back, you know, and then hopefully make make money on top of that. I think that's where the economics lie. I think the battle for entertainment overall with Amazon, Netflix, the cable companies, and the companies we just named, I think it's, it, it's unpredictable you know, in terms of how user behavior will change, which consumers will want to pay for content, which versus which will, you know, deal with an ad experience to get content they like. Like, I I personally can't predict the outcome of that. But I do know as a guy running a business, you have to be thinking about each of those as at least dipping your toe in in the water uh, for each and knowing that video is not going away. And so you just got to figure out which, you know, which content works on each platform and then can you make the economics work Mm. and going back to the point of you know having a nice uh big brother uh it's good to have a company who's willing to back you in those opportunities because sometimes you know you don't need a deficit finance something but other times you need to Mm. Um, and is it fair to say that if you're 
if you're serious about building a video business, you have to have some expectation that you're going to have to fund it upfront and, and, and just accept that there might be some losses along the way before you kind of build it into a profitable business. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely an investment business that takes time to get traction. And I think, you know, there's piece of it that you can offset, you know, financing, whether you're selling a deal to a network or a studio or, you know, advertisers have always been great to our brands about underwriting big programs because they know bringing something that's first to market is good for them and it's also good for the publisher. So, but yeah, I mean, I think in general, video is not as easy as starting, you know, a tech site and trying to write enough content to get your money back. It just takes more effort to, you know, create video than it does to write an article. All right, Mike. Well, this was great. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, and, thanks for having me. And everyone, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with a new episode.